Uh, most of you are familiar with the term user pays in our society. When you park your car, uh, certainly in parts of the Gold Coast, when I went for a holiday, you know, you, you pay your penny and you know it's going to placate the parking attendant for a while. Uh, well, it seems this kind of user pays approach was happening to the Colossians in the spiritual realm. And there's a couple of examples of um, the heresy. It's mixed in with mysticism and what might be called asceticism. Uh, but they're being encouraged to put their trust in other things. So we'll pick that up in chapter 2, verse 16, through to about 2, verse 23, to get a bit of a feel of how they're being encouraged to move on from the gospel. So in 2, verse 16, it says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Do not let anyone, this is in verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And so what we see is the Christians have, have had a, a good start with their trust in the gospel but now there's confusion that's coming. Some people, uh, we find out, delight in false humility and the worship of angels. Now, this might not be that they're actually worshipping angels. That would be a, a case of idolatry, and Paul would probably be firmer about that. It might be more that they've tried to have what might be described as a heavenly ascent to observe angels worshipping God in God's heavenly court. Uh, some, uh, there was a mysticism around at the time, called Merkabah, Merkabah mysticism uh, and it was it was Merkabah is the Hebrew word for a chariot uh, if you remember back to the Old Testament where Elijah in chapter 6 of 2 Kings was taken up to heaven in chariots of fire uh, some people in, in, the, in the early times, New Testament times wanted to have a kind of a heavenly ascent like Elijah had uh, Enoch was someone who was walking with God and he was taken uh, and there's other images of God being enthroned in a, in a courtroom kind of situation. Even at the uh, start of the book of Job, you read about how uh, the sons of God are invited before God's presence and, and Satan comes before as well. There's like a, a heavenly courtroom or throne room that, um, that angels attend in the Bible. And some of the people who are involved in uh, some weird mystical practices would deprive themselves of food and possibly drink uh, in order to prepare themselves for a, a heavenly ascent. Uh, and so Paul's saying, don't let people who are delighting in these kinds of uh, mystical practices or legalistic practices be the ones who stand in judgment over you. Because the fact is, these Christians already have life with God. They've already got a type of um, all you need to be in God's presence. 
but they just can't see it at the time. I'll show you this from chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. This is what Paul says to help them understand what they've got. In chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what he's saying is, at one level, they've already been raised with Christ. They have died, and their lives are now hidden with Christ in God. That's a present reality. And then when Jesus appears then they'll appear with him in glory. It'll be seen for the reality that it is when Jesus appears. Earlier, when Paul speaks about their baptism, he speaks about that being a sign of what they've already uh, taken hold of in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism was a sign that they'd taken hold of Christ's victory over any spiritual powers and that they've been uh, reconciled to God and raised with Christ. And so given that they've, they've already got a living experience of being right with God, that they've been able to draw near to God, they don't need to move on to some other mystical practices or legalism in order to have something more of what they've got in the gospel. But Paul does say, if you want to be heavenly-minded, well then, it's right to focus on Christ who is seated in heaven with God, but heavenly-mindedness is not so much about carrying out weird practices as about how we live well as God's new community. And that's what the, uh, the passage that we're looking carefully today is all about. True heavenly-mindedness has got to do with earthly practice uh, that's godly, focused on Christ, and lived well in community with each other. So the first thing he then challenges them to do uh, is to start putting on this new man that they are. They have taken off the old man and they've become a new man. We see that in chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Look what he says here in 3, verse 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. And now Paul goes on and tells them to clothe themselves with things for this new man. They've got to have the right gear for the right life. Uh, that's true in other aspects of life as well. I've got a friend who, um, who's uh, just been converted to Lycra as uh, he rides a bike with me. Uh, and in this case, he knows that the right gear goes with that right kind of life. Lycra does have some advantages, friends. It's not just because cyclists are all posers and they do like to get into the spandex. Uh, it does help stop some chafing and it makes you go a little bit quicker uh, when you're trying to get past your mate. And so Paul's not going to be you know, laying it on their conscience to put on Lycra, but he's saying, you're a new man, you've got to wear the right gear. And the right kind of gear is to do with godly living. So let's have a look at it. 3 verse 12 Therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Well, this um, first term about uh, compassion is actually a very good Greek word. It's got to do with that gutsy sort of feeling when you really love someone or something. You might have looked back at your photos that pop up on the computer screen and you remember those fishing trips or you look at when your baby was born. There are these really you know, emotional feelings that go with looking at pictures in the past. Uh, and that's actually what the word is before this describing the kind of compassion. It's heartfelt compassion. Literally, it's bowels of compassion because it's talking about the squishy, gutsy type of feeling. Uh, there was a few years ago we had a mission in church and at that time I was looking through some mission sheets and I found a bulletin with, um, Welcome, Ross Charles, in it, my, my son when he was born. And there was Ross with his big watermelon head that had just come out and I looked at Ross as a six-year-old and I couldn't help feeling that kind of compassion for him. And you've probably got the same too. Well, Paul's saying we shouldn't limit this just to our own, our own kids or our own family members, but we should be treating our Christian brothers and sisters in, within our church with this heartfelt compassion. Not like uh, what the teenagers call in Sydney the randoms. Have you heard that one? They talk about people on the trains, oh yeah, there's the randoms. I was sitting on their train once from Blacktown to Burwood and hearing these teenagers talk about all oh, the randoms, this and that, and I'm thinking, I'm not a random. I'm on this train with you, but I'm not a random. I've got a name. You know, you're queued up in the bread shop and the people you don't know around you, well, they're, not, they're still people. Uh, but we're not supposed to treat each other like the randoms. Uh, we don't have numbers here. We have names. Uh, and God's challenge for us this morning, the message from the Holy Spirit today, is that we are to have heartfelt compassion for one another, the same kind that you have for those loved ones in your family. The next thing they're called to be is a truly humble people. Uh, this term for humility already comes up in chapter 2, verse 18. You can turn with me, if you like, to have a look at how it's used in the negative. It's not a word that comes up much in the in the Bible this, in this negative way. It says, uh, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. And in verse 23 of chapter 2, Such regulations indeed have the, an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. Now this idea of false humility is sort of bound up with... Um, People sort of depriving themselves of things, perhaps depriving themselves of some food for a time. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Greek, that's the connotations that kind of might have had. Paul's saying, now, there is a place for humility, but it's not about just starving yourself of food or water, getting yourself ready and diluted, perhaps, for a heavenly ascent. Presumably, if you go without sleep, food and water for a while, you will have delusions as well. I don't know whether that was all part of it, but uh, he's saying... There is a place for humility. It's not that kind of humility. True heavenly mindedness has got to do with the humility that Jesus modelled. He's described as uh, someone who's humbled himself. He was lowly in spirit. And that's the kind of humility that God's new community should have, not of another kind of mystical and legalistic kind. Well, we can see that True heavenly mindedness has got to do with uh, simple godly living amongst one another now. And Paul lists kindness and gentleness and patience as those kind of things that should characterise God's 
new community. Well, the Colossians have uh, been people who've come and gone, but the, the challenge still remains for God's church to be a godly one and to embody these kinds of things. Yet Paul recognises that uh, we will fall short, friends, uh, that I'll do my bit to, um, to blow it and to be rebellious and sinful, uh, and you'll do your bit too. Uh, and he, we know that he, he knows we're not going to be able to do it because in the very next verse he talks about bearing with each other and forgiving each other. Let's pick that up in chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, if you're following with me. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I know it's great to be part of a Christian community. It's great to be part of a church where people do forgive each other. Uh, in Sydney, when I was part of the college community, uh, I had to ask for someone's forgiveness. We had a, an opportunity to give our presentations on the computer screen of, of mission trips that we'd done. And I went to Indonesia and I had some good photos to show. But I wasn't, I wasn't as uh, good technologically to be able to get that file down small enough to sort of fit on the computer. And so when my turn came to put the thing in, uh, it actually froze... John's computer and so that kind of ruined the day's presentations anyway uh, because I didn't quite get my act together well enough and I probably should have checked it earlier I said to him look John I'm really sorry about you know butchering that job and and he was kind enough to forgive me and he even scheduled another time when we could give the presentations it was great but you know there's some other communities where they don't forgive Uh, they harbor bitterness they harbor a grudge And they say things like, I'll never forgive them for that. Uh, And it's a horrible experience to experience unforgiveness. Paul doesn't want his new community to be like that. He wants us to bear with each other. This is the idea that in community life, we do step on each other's toes. We are different kind of people with different backgrounds. uh, And as we try to make life work together, we get bored with each other and we end up having to we end up annoying each other at times but he challenges us to bear with each other that's the message from god's word this morning if you don't take anything else away today this is a good one to remember we are challenged to still bear with each other not just chuck in the towel uh, and give up on each other but to bear with each other and to forgive in so much as we sin against each other well paul continues and we're in point five of your outline if you're following on by calling the Colossians to let Christ's peace rule them. We'll pick that up in three, chapter 3, verse 15, if you're following on, 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. The peace of Christ might be understood best as the peace that Christ has achieved for them with God. That victory Jesus has brought over the powers and principalities, the evil forces of the world, and also the reconciliation with God that Jesus has brought. And the peace that Christ brings is to rule them. Now this idea, this word of ruling them, is um, actually a word that goes back to the games, you know, the Olympic Games, how someone will disqualify someone for a prize or someone will will say you, you deserve the prize. Uh, Perhaps like in a boxing match, we're familiar with an umpire who who declares a victor and hands over the belt to the winning 
winning party. Well, he's saying, let the peace of Christ rule you. Let that, let that work that Christ has done be the thing which um, I suppose gives them the prize at the end. Because that same word comes up earlier in the negative. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 18, where it says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. He's saying, don't, don't carry on your life getting caught up in that nonsense. That'll actually, you won't get the prize, the crown of life that way. Instead, the peace that Christ brings, that's the thing that's going to be what's going to, if you hold on to that, you will, you will receive the crown of life. And so the challenge is for them to continue in the gospel, not move from it. In point six of the sermon outline, we read that uh, the teaching has to be kept Christ-centred within the church. That's what heavenly-mindedness is about. It's not about moving on from Christ-centredness. It's about sticking with this. Uh, Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ, which if you look earlier in Colossians might be understood as the word of truth or the gospel, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, in this setting, uh, people had probably been invited to move their worship uh, away from things where Christ was central. And, you know, I didn't ever expect to see a day when I'd be encouraged to move on from the word of truth, to move on from singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs where, have, where Jesus is central, where we actually teach one another from the word of God in Bible study groups and when we hear it preached at church and we're challenged to admonish one another. I didn't think I'd ever be encouraged to move on from a Christ-centred, word-centred ministry. But in the past, there was a time, I was part of a a devotional group where some lady led the group uh, and said, we need to actually move on to investigating what's happening in our dreams with God more. That people within her church had had profound dreams where God spoke to them face to face. And, uh, you know, we need to actually move on from this kind of simple stuff to a world of mysticism and dreams. And I couldn't help think that at the time, uh, about 2 verse 18, which says, such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head. Because I don't think Paul's saying in this passage, tap into your dreams. See if you can dream about the big lion or the, or the crown or something like that. No, he's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Actually. This is the, uh, the word of truth, the, the gospel. We've got to keep letting God's word be the main game uh, and not to move on away from it like these other people did at that time. Finally, in a catch-all phrase, Paul challenges this church to keep Jesus as the main thing. In verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, he says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever they are to do, it isn't supposed to be bound up with asceticism and legalism and mysticism. Uh, 
They're supposed to keep Jesus at the centre. And whatever they do, do it in his name. Uh, That's the challenge. This is in keeping with what Paul said earlier in the book, in chapter 2, verse 6, where he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul saying, we need not to move on from Christ, but to preserve and conserve what we have in the gospel and to press on with Jesus is central in our lives. Well, these Colossians have come from a rotten past. They, uh, they didn't have life with God. They had the smell of death. They were in the dominion of darkness. But now they've become the new people of God. And Paul wants them to understand what it is that they have in Christ. First and foremost, they do have life with God, a real experience of it, although they can't see the completeness of that now. And he wants them to carry out their heavenly mindedness as they focus on Jesus who's at the right end of God, He wants them to have that heavenly mindedness translated into their earthly practice. Not about mucking around with, uh, you know, not what food to eat or starving yourself or something like that, but to have simple godly living. He keeps it simple. Let's live godly lives. Let's bear with each other. Let's forgive one another. And let's keep Christ central uh, in our teaching and in our singing. That's the challenge for us as a church. Uh, May God strengthen us to be a church that is pursuing godliness, pursuing forgiveness and holding on to the central thing, which is Jesus, our Lord, and not to be moved away from that. Let's pray that God will help us now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, clear word from yourself, uh, that we can see how the Colossians moved from their their rotten old past uh, into a new life with you through the reconciliation that Jesus brought. Lord, we give you thanks that through the work of Jesus there is a victory over all spiritual forces that might threaten people. Father, we thank you that we, uh, we have been raised with Christ. As we've put our trust in him, we do have uh, a living faith in you and we don't need to move on to some other experience to have fullness. But Lord, we do pray that as we um, seek to be heavenly-minded and spiritual, We'd see the touchstone of that as being the way that we um, treat each other and, and hold on to the things which are central. And so we pray for godliness with the way that we um, carry out our lives. We pray that you'd help us uh, not to be fools and to um, have a hardness of heart towards each other, but to be soft and to let um, that love uh, bind us together, uh, that we might live out how you do call us to live. Lord, we pray that you would help us to bear with each other when we, um, when we tread on each other's toes and forgive one another when we do uh, sin against one another. Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep your word central within our ministry here at this church, uh, that through the Bible study groups and in the preaching, we'd be um, given a deep sense of assurance of our life with you because of what has happened to us through Christ. And we pray that we wouldn't move on from that, that we'd hold on to it uh, and be committed to it. We pray for your help in that and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.